1: He's unpredictable, he's relentless, he's fearless, he's smart, he's a jerk. Oh man, what a jerk. How would you describe Kirk Minahan? He's talented, he's blunt, he's complicated, he's the fakest tough guy I know, he's honest, A self-proclaimed weenie, he's angry, he's
2: actually a good guy, he's a psycho big-mouth prick. I wish we had more Kirk Minahan's. How would you
1: describe Kirk Minahan? Combustible, unpredictable, venomous, testy, obnoxious, selfish, polarizing, pompous. Enough about me, let's get to the show. It's Kirk Minahan's. Enough
2: about me. On June 26th, the Auburn Police Association presents A Night of Comedy. It features Artie Lang, Lenny Clark, and friends. All proceeds benefit the family of Officer Ronald Tarantino, Jr. MechanicsHall.org. To get more information, joining me right now is the great Artie Lang. So I've been doing, uh, I've been on with John Dennis and Jerry Callahan in Boston for about three years. And a few months in when I started, I said, you know, at some point you just have to say, fuck it and act like the way you are. And honestly, I swear the radio model I used and I haven't been as successful or made as much money was already Lang on The Stern Show. There's no doubt about it. Today on the show, we're doing these revelations like you guys would do. And I talked about how I masturbated uh, to several members of my wife's uh, wedding party. You know, no, nobody around the station here does that shit, but I'm just ripping you off, essentially. That's a total Artie Lang rip. So let me just say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for my career.
0: <laughs> well, feel free to have that. That's not exactly like ripping off Paul McCartney and Lennox. <laughs> well, still. Yeah. Yeah, bo- but uh, You know, if you can run with it, go ahead. I mean, you really want to make money. Say you jerked off to people at your wedding party. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. That one guy,
2: that one guy was so smooth and so cute back then. 2002. The <laughs> yeah, like, what are you doing
0: that? Well, I appreciate you saying that,
2: but, but, but Here's the thing, Artie. You know, and part of like you know, with me with John and Jerry was I listened to that show a lot when I was younger. So when right. they, when they added me to the show, I understood the dynamic. I was a massive. Now I come from Massachusetts, so I didn't hear Stern until he came to BCN at nights. I was yeah. in high school. I would get some gas. My friends and I would split gas. We'd drive around for four fucking hours at night where we started in Boston. We had never heard anything like that, and when you joined the show, I could tell right away that you understood how that show worked. You, you right away, you understood what you had to do to be good in the show.
0: Right? Yeah. You well, know, I, I mean, it's the same thing you just said about listening when you were a kid. I listened to Howard, uh, I started when I was thirteen. He came on here in 1982, and yeah, mm-hmm. I, was, I was thirteen that summer. My old man drove a truck uh, to get from job to job. He climbed roofs, roofing, and hanging antennas. And, right just hustling, cleaning gutters and stuff, whatever you could do to make money. And he heard Howard, and he came back, and uh, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, uh, you know, nothing. He goes, well, you're working with me. And uh, I watched you to hear this guy on the radio, and it was almost like a bonding thing from the beginning. So when I got on Howard, I had been listening, and I was, with 31? I was 30 when I first went on the show. So we are talking 17 years later. I had been listening. So I knew when to shut up. As well as when to talk, you know which was just as important
2: but what was different with what was different with you it was I thought it was the best show ever when Jackie was there, but then I thought it got better when you joined the show, but I would say that you said more in a week than Jackie said in a year sometimes is that is that <laughs> is that fair well,
0: you he know, was more of a, he was more of a writer right what happened was it, yeah that, that's a good point I mean. Like, I didn't really, I didn't take over for Jackie. Benji sort of took over for what Jackie did. Benji is a great joke writer and uh, got a lot of jokes on the air, and his mic wasn't on all the time, and he contributed on air sometimes. This is exactly what Jackie did. Right. With me, I kind of failed upwards. It was one of those things where I thought I was going to get fired, and then something great happened. When I first got on the show, Gary told all the comedians that were sitting in that chair trying to get the job, Gary Mm -hmm. told the same thing, because we all talked. And it was a pretty impressive uh, group of people at the time. You know, Joe Rogan and Chappelle and uh Carolla, and I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Adam and Jimmy Kimmel. One, one day, me, Jimmy, and Adam were all in the same show. Right, I remember that. Yeah, it was it was a blast. But I, uh, they said, listen, when Howard's uh, doing interviews, especially, don't talk. Your mic's not going to be on but feel free to write jokes for him. So I would try to do that, and I was terrible at writing jokes in Howard's voice. <laughs> he never used any of the jokes that I wrote, and I was starting to get oh fuck, this is a, i got to figure out how to do this. And uh, one day Gary and Howard pulled me aside after the show and said, listen, uh, uh, I, I, you know, the jokes aren't working out that you write for Howard. And I said, fuck, I'm getting fired. I wasn't even hired. They said, well, it's probably not working out, so we're just going to let you go. Kind of like getting voted off the island. And uh, instead, they said, "So we're just going to keep your mic on all the time." And I said, "Why?" He said, "If you say something funny, just just say it as you. It's it's funny when you say it, and because you have you're good with your own voice." And uh, and Howard said, "Listen, no, we've never done this with anybody ever, you know, except Rob, you know, the other person's mic is on all the time. So I'm just kind of trusting you to sort of just use your own judgment and weave into the conversation and be funny." And, yeah, so it, it in a sense I became a third host of the show because I sucked at writing
2: the jokes. Oh, no question, but but yeah. what's what's crazy about it though is that you think about it from from Stern's perspective, that is already the most successful radio personality who ever lived. Who essentially right. said to somebody, "Yeah, you you can be my co. We're going to change the entire dynamic of the show while it's still rolling. I mean, there has to be, I don't know, a lack of ego or an intelligence or something to be able to make to understand to no, make that move at that time."
0: Yeah, no, I I was so, the thing was, I was so excited to get the job, I was blinded by the pressure I mean right. if you yeah all I could do was fuck it up i could right. <laughs> the show wasn 't going to get more successful. all I could do was fuck it up, and at the best case scenario what would, what would happen is the dynamic changed, and, and some people would think it was for the better, which I guess Howard saw, which is big yeah i mean the, 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 besides his kids, that show is the most important thing in his life, I can tell you, and he uh he was putting it in the hands of uh, someone who just came on a few months ago. He saw something in me that I didn't even see, and uh, I just went with it because, again, I was too excited to see the, the pressure. And I just told stories and jokes, and uh, for eight, eight years, he didn't give me a note off the air. It was, it just worked, and uh, it, my my career skyrocketed in a way like I can't even tell you. I went from playing yuck yucks to Carnegie Hall. It was uh, a <laughs> Insane. So I became, essentially I became a co-host of the biggest radio show ever in, in about a month.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I wonder that. So our show, we're on the same time you guys were on. So we start at 6, we end at 10. We're a sports show. You know, we do a bunch of other shit, too. But the rest of the day, there's some text going back and forth, some ideas. What was the show? You guys would end the show at ten thirty, ten forty-five, 10.45, whatever. Right. What was the rest of the day like, like a day in 2004 or whatever, say? Was there any uh, interaction, or did you just meet up again the next day?
0: What happened was... Like, when I the, the the dynamic change in a sense too when I got there, where it was very little preparation, like very little pre-written bits, unless Benji or Freddie would come up with something, right? Because uh, he, and I think Howard was happy with that too, because I, I, Howard was with Beth and uh, having a little bit more of a nightlife than he ever had in the city, and he was really really enjoying that. Uh, he was enjoying being a single guy, you know, and uh, and with uh, this beautiful girlfriend and, and doing the town a little bit, which he never sort of did before, With a beautiful, that had an apartment. And I don't think he wanted to be there till 9 p.m. at night writing bits. So I think the other thing, timing in life is everything, that I benefited from was, you know, I excel at sort of not preparing and just winging it. You know, right. just just having a fun conversation and, and all off the top of your head. And Howard, at that time in his life, was wanting that to be what the show was.
2: Well, it was funny so, for me. Oh, no, you know? I'm sorry, Artie. Go ahead.
0: No, I'm just saying, so so it was never uh, – I I had this amazing job – uh, you know, getting famous and rich, and I had no preparation, and that's the way Howard wanted. He said, purposely, I don't want Artie to be in on any preparing we do, because I just want him to react on the air uh, naturally. And the pressure was, of course, I had to try, I had to be funny spontaneously, and thank God it was, uh, that was the case most of the time. Thursday afternoons, we'd have a, a pitch meeting where we pitch ideas to Howard, like mm-hmm. you know, World's Meetest Listeners concert, whatever whatever it was. Let's go to Vegas and I'll play basketball against the chick. What well, right, right. broad ideas. Right. So I'd go to that Thursday meeting. Other than that there was nothing, just what you heard on the air for me, you know. You
2: know what's funny is, you know, I I I've listened forever and I listen to the one oh one stuff now all the time, a lot more than one hundred to be honest. And the old like the old sort of bits bits where there was a lot of applauding and stuff I'm still not a big fan of... My favorite moments of the Stern Show, as always, and my guess is they were yours as well, is just the fighting within the show. At what, yeah. p- at what point did you realize, listen, every fucking thing is in play. I, there's nothing I can hide.
0: Right. Well, I mean, I made that decision short on my own. I mean, no one was, was pushing it, but... Uh I I did uh, I did reveal stuff that I couldn't even believe I revealed. Yeah, it started from the first time I got on the show as a guest. Norm With Norm, didn't really, yeah. Yeah, Norm sort of ambushed me on the air and uh, didn't tell me that he was going to bring up that I got kicked off of MAD TV for, for cocaine. <laughs> right. And I, I at that point, you know, it's funny that there's certain decisions you make in life. And uh, I could have dummied up and said, I don't know what Norm's talking about. And Howard could have said, okay, I don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. And, And I could have just sat there like a dummy for not saying anything. (laughs) Or or I could have just said, fuck it, I'm going to do the Richard Pryor thing where I'm just going to try to make uh, comedy out of tragedy and uh, take all these crazy, awful things that happened in my life and turn them into a career and money and and art and and my form of art, whatever it is. And and I just, I was as honest as I could be. And I I used that the rest of my, uh, you know, decade that I was. There, 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 were times where I'd get out on Sixth Avenue and people, like a, a UPS truck driver, would be yelling, I, "Did that shit really happen to you? <laughs> <laughs> did you really do coke in a pig outfit and shit your pants?" Yeah, you know, and, and I go, "Whoa, wow! I, I, maybe I was a little too honest." <laughs> it's like your psychiatrist is twenty million people. You know. it, it, uh,
2: at what point, you know? So, so you were rolling. You went to Sirius. At what point did the show become, you know, and I, and I listened almost every day, and the show sort of became, the subplot became sort of the the arty drama. At what point did yeah. you at what point did you not want to do the show anymore? Or was there ever that point?
0: Well, there was never a point where I subconsciously, I, 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 I couldn't have, I didn't want to do anything after a while because of heroin. Right. I became a full-blown heroin addict. And, you know, I, I had a lot of trouble with cocaine in the past and other stuff, but, uh, you know, the opiate addiction... You know, it's like the hell of Prince was just it. It, uh, mm-hmm. it it starts to just run your life. And what, so. and
2: what year is that? What year does that
0: start? Uh, I, I started doing that in the summer of '04. Okay, so you're still I, on. You're still be- on, it, right. Yeah, good. It didn't become an issue, a problem until I had a, you know, until I like wait '08, wait middle of '08. Right. When I got back from Afghanistan, I started ramping up. After after I played Carnegie Hall in '06, I ramped up the theater gigs My road schedule was insane. I mean, nobody could have handled it. I I got addicted to the money. I was I was making a hundred grand a night doing stand up, and I couldn't turn it down. But I had everybody on the planet, so I started taking pills to come up, pills to come down, and I was on the road and I was taking like eighty Percocet a day. And uh, this this manager at this uh, comedy club said, "You should take heroin. It's it's short heroin. It's better for your liver," (laughs) which is the title of a chapter of my book. He actually said that. And I went back to the hotel room that night. I snorted uh, a couple of heroin, And I laid back on the the pillow. And it was so euphoric. There was nobody else in the room. Are you so so fucked up? I said out out loud, (laughs) I'm in trouble. I said, said, it came out of my mouth. Are you so fucked up
2: at that point that when that manager says that to you, do you think that makes some sense?
0: Complete sense. It was like someone at the Mayo Clinic told me it. (laughs) He he might as well have been a doctor. So I uh, I chased it for a while, but but my life got so it was so amazing for a while though too. Like the, uh, the first seven years I had on that show of, of the eight and a half I was on, I I would wish on any comedian. It's a rock a com- It's a
2: rock star lifestyle almost, right?
0: It, it, well, I mean, listen, when we came, when we went into Atlantic, when we went into uh, Las Vegas to do those shows, we were. It's I don't know, I can't imagine the Rolling Stones getting any better at treatment. There was a strip club across the street. Uh, that was getting so much business because we were there. I did an appearance there one night and two strippers came up to me and said to me, as if they were telling me, if you need a cup of coffee, come over here." they said, listen, uh, we, we appreciate this business so much and uh, we're packed every night. If you're stressed over there, just come here. If you want a blowjob, just tell us.
2: Well, that's that's very reasonable and, request, I think.
0: Yeah. So I mean, to cut. To, I, I was running across the highway <laughs> every twenty minutes, like I was going to the gym. I, I would I would just get up and run, and, and, and they'd see me, and I go to your mind. They go, no, no problem. Tammy'll blow you, you know? and they would blow me, and wouldn't accept any money, and they would say thank you, and like a professional blowjob, like the type, like the Jiffy Lube. The chick should have been wearing a mechanic shirt with her name on the side, Tam. And uh, I, I probably got the, the first week I was there, and I never said as I was dating a girl, right. that, ended, that ended in a fire wreck. So I don't mind being honest now. But I, I the, the first week that I was there uh, with the Stern show, I fucked like a dozen strippers, <laughs> that, that were all like twenty-three years old, and it just without even a rap. You know, they just were.
2: Layups. Is a part you know, of you? that is a part of you? While you're doing this, you're thinking, "I can't fucking believe this is happening." Yes, every part of it. When does saying- bo- <laughs> <laughs> does that stop? When do you stop? When you stop feeling that way, it does it does it kind of change at all? I, it's a stupid yeah. question, but if you're getting a blowjob, at what point does a great blowjob from a great looking stripper become routine? I guess is my question. <laughs>
0: Uh, well, I, routine's a strong word. I don't know if I ever say <laughs> you that. Know you that. Know, I, you know, I, know what I mean. It never came again a cup of coffee in my favorite <laughs> 7-Eleven in the morning. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I, I There was a porn star. that I can't really, I can't say who it was, but she was young it's and a, very pretty. And blue she, Iris, yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. Uh, blue Iris, figure 1931 Blue <laughs> Iris. uh I was down at the Delano uh, in Miami in South Beach. I was doing a stand-up show. And the thing is, Howard never came on the road. Right. So when I went on the road, I was Howard. Right. Like, like in other words, Freddie was married, had a beautiful baby. He he wasn't living that lifestyle. You know, Benji didn't really have the fame I had, and Gary was married. So, I, I mean, I if Howard wasn't around, which was a lot because he didn't travel, I was Howard. <laughs> but you
2: but you would but you would bring the—say Howard was the A guy, you were the B guy. You would bring some other lower-level guys with you on the show, right? Yeah,
0: but yeah. in other words, I became— But you were the big guy, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, because was, Howard wasn't there. Right. And, uh, you know, the next—everybody next, next uh, I, uh, everybody knew I sat two feet from and I called to the show, and I could tell a stripper— I could mention your website on the show. That was like Mecca. And, uh, forget it. It was. It was. Again, <laughs> I was never a ladies' man. This was a surreal thing. And I was. It was 5 a.m. on the on the beach in front of the Delano. And this porn star uh, gave me a blowjob. And we laid back on the beach. Uh, and the sun came up. And I said, you know, my life, if my life was a movie, it should say the end. I it should just say the end right now because it, it's not going to get better. And I would just, 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 I would, yeah, I'll fuck this up. You, know? you should
2: have just walked right into the ocean right there.
0: I should have. I should, that's a good point. I should have tied the heaviest thing to me, just which, which would have been, been the stripper.
2: <laughs> now that's a way to go out.
0: Yeah, because her life didn't get better either. I should have tied her to my ankle and both of us just walked in.
2: So you're claiming that the porn star stripper who gave you a blowjob and collected your semen, you're saying that was also the high point of her life?
0: I would say uh, not high point, just strong words. I think she thought it was going to get better. (laughs) just didn't didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, For me, it could get better, and she was hoping it would get better. That was the difference. And I, I – uh, but, you know, again, I, if it said the end, it would have been great. But I kept living my life, and it got worse.
2: Well, here's the thing. So, like I said, I worked the same hours that you worked forever. So I'm up, you know, I'm up at 4, 4.30 every day. And I used to drink. I don't drink anymore. I stopped. I stopped drinking. I stopped using drugs uh, for, you, for, 12, for 12 years. Yeah, but wow. I, I can't even already imagine drinking a little bit and doing a little bit of drugs and doing this job. You're doing – Drugs at a fucking Babe Ruthian, the 1920 <laughs> level, and you're sho- and you're showing up for a morning show. By the way, the most successful morning show in radio history, yeah. every single day. And I know some days you weren't there, but right. how did you how did you function through the show, and how did the other people not know or did they know?
0: Well, I mean, they, they, look, they knew I wasn't teaching a spin class when I left. <laughs> uh, and I, I uh, but you know, again, Howard always said up until that last eight months or so. Howard always said, "Look, you know everybody tells me Artie's got a problem. First of all, Artie works for me. He's my friend. I care for him, but we're not brothers. Uh, Artie shows up every day and is hilarious. He he does his job, uh, so I have no problem." But did you believe that he
2: didn't know for for that long?
0: uh, He didn't sure he didn't know the extent of it. There's no way he could have. And you know, Howard. You know, I get mad when people say Howard didn't help me. He, He did. I mean, people don't know what happened off the air. I mean, Howard got me a therapist through his therapist. Uh, he got me uh, into, into rehab. Howard at one point said this came out on the air. He said, look, Art, look go, go go, take as much time as you need to get better. When you come back, you have a job. I mean, what else could you ask the boss to say? And I tried and I left. I mean, but I just made everything into comedy. What was uh, Nobody individually was an enabler, but the, the show life itself was, because I knew that the, the the setup that I had helped create, the, the new sort of version of the show that was part of my creation was everything could be a joke. So if I left, like one time I, 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 I told Gary I need 18 days or 28 days to go to rehab in Florida. After eight days, I left, and I went to a satai in, in Miami, and I, I got a suite, and I called the show with uh, with a stripper in the room, with, uh, with the with the room service guy bringing up Jack Daniels at eight in the morning, and and uh, we made a half an hour, you know, bit about it, and uh, you know everybody loved it, and and you know every caller eventually would want to talk about me just because I was the only one living that kind of interesting life off the air. Uh, I was a comedian. With a drug addiction, doing stand up on the road and partying like that, obviously people would call and go, "What happened, this weekend?" And I think, you know, Howard, rightfully so, thought that was getting a little much, you know. And uh, it just sort of organically happened. There was no way to stop it. It was a monster rolling, and uh, eventually, it, it hit a mountain because it had to. But I mean, if you
2: didn't, if you hadn't uh, tried to, to commit suicide, would you have been fired from the show?
0: Well, at that point, I was forced to uh, do the rehab thing. They were going to take no more bullshit. They were going to say, look, you have to do this, and and hopefully maybe I would have taken a few months and gotten better. But I I do think, though, I probably would have went back in the sense that I think Howard, in his mind, already had the changes he wanted to make that the show has become now in his head. And uh, quite frankly, uh, Neither one of us would have thought I would have finished. You, would, you
2: wouldn't have worked with the, with the way it is, and you just wouldn't have. right? Yeah.
0: Well, no. I mean, like the interview with Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, who would, whether Paltrow's life is going to let me within a foot of her? You know? <laughs> like she's talking about a $200 green drink and, uh, and the Hamptons and uh, taking a special, uh, like, uh, Lithuanian uh, fucking uh, 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 cycle class. Well, and uh, and I, I'm a foot from her, like the grimace, going, show us your kids. I mean, it's not going to work. And I wouldn't have wanted to do it either. So I think or, I just would have got phased out
2: of it. What do you think? I mean, you know, my criticism, and and Howard actually went at us about a year ago, because Jerry Callahan and I are massive Stern fans from the old days. I got to be honest, when I hear him interview Gwyneth Paltrow, or I hear him interview Melissa McCarthy, or I hear him interview Sally Field, or Carol Burnett, or he talks about how great Kathy Lee Gifford is, or he does this, (laughs) or he just, I I wonder what happened to the old Howard, and and I know you and John had a long conversation about maybe a year or so about it, too. It's just, it's not a show for me anymore. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, again, you know, uh, Howard is 62 years old, and, and I, I, I think he just he just evolved uh, into something different. And I think he, he subconsciously, or very consciously, wants what, to leave behind a, uh, a, an amazing library of celebrity interviews, which he's great at doing. The, the only issue I think that I agree with that the fans might have is that – he sort of—it sort of seemed like he was just duping everybody for a long time. It always seemed like he was goofing on show business because he hated it and was really rebellious. And it sort of seems now like he just wanted to be a part of it, which is a whoa—that's one eighty for people. I think uh, you know a lot of us. Uh, I'm the kind of—I'm the kind of Stern Show guy, both being a fan and and being on the show—who would rather goof on Jennifer Anderson's new husband rather than be friends with him. And uh, that's where I I don't get it, but uh, the rest, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to put uh, you know a twenty one year old girl on a sibiu anymore. I think uh, he'd seem kind of sleazy doing that. Uh, and it's his show; he can do what he wants. I I think the anger that he seems to have towards whatever he thinks the regular guy is that that's a little weird. But uh, I don't get that. I don't I
2: know. don't know where that that's, that's 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 he was the guy in the basement for years shitting on the people that he hangs out with now.
0: Right. Well, I mean, look, he evolved it. No, that's, what that's what America is. Right. It's just that, I don't know, like, there's sheer hostility there uh, that I don't think the fans deserve. But at the, at the same time, uh, you know, I think the fans should be appreciative of what he gave them for so many years and, and sort of respect the fact that uh, he, he changed and and he's got a right to do that. And if they want to hear the old show, they sh- of course should you know, sign up for the Artie Quitter podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Absolutely, Ar- Artie right? Yeah, you know, uh, I, uh, I
0: I started uh, you know doing this podcast, and I never thought I could have as much fun as I'm doing. I I, I mean, it's truly uncensored. I, know, just, I, just, I just I just I just signed
2: up. I signed up about three months ago. It's great. Absolutely yeah, great. Yeah. It's
0: just fun to just truly say whatever the hell you want. And, uh, and uh, I could never have changed because I'm not capable of it. You know, I, just, I would seem retarded <laughs> and very funny telling Ellen I like her dance. I get a bit of a
2: year. Well, here, you know, uh, I think of the I heard you and Gilbert on uh, Gilbert's podcast a few months ago, and you were doing the Tracy Morgan, and it was wild. Right. It was like the old news days. Artie, if you came back into the radio show and did that at 6.02 in the morning, you'd be fucking fired at the first commercial break. <laughs> I, they would, I they, know, they would, and that's
0: it. I don't know Gilbert. White, Gilbert's not allowed on either. I, mean, he's the, I, think he's,
2: I think he's the greatest guest in the history of the show.
0: A lot of people would agree with that. I certainly did. I I thought that before I got on the show. During and I still do after. But the fact that he's not there is, come on. That, that that's that's you know I respect everything Howard has done has changed and You don't
2: think Gilbert Gottfried is as funny as Andy Cohen? How dare you say that? <laughs> Who's that? Oh, is, that, is, that? He's on, is he on the show? he always been on. He's like, he's like a Bravo fucking guy. I don't know oh, the Oh, when is, when is, when is Artie Lang going to be a guest on the Howard Stern show?
0: It'll never happen. When? never gonna, what? It'll never happen. If, uh, if he asked me to do it, I would go because he deserves. I would do anything Howard asked me to do because I was brought up by by a guy who says would tell me, look, that motherfucker gave you a job when you needed it, and uh, you know I don't give a shit what what has happened. You do if he asks you a favor, you do it. Not that it would be a favor. If he asked me something, I would do it because uh, Howard is responsible for almost everything I have in my life post man TV, and I would go. But. I know he wouldn't do it. He'll never ask. It's it's very weird. So I, I don't think you'll ever, what was the last you'll time ever you, hear about it. When of. was the last
2: time you talked to him?
0: The last time I actually spoke to Howard was in the hospital room with Robin. Uh, Robin had just gotten her operation, I'm going to say 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to go see Robin, because I always had a special relationship with her. I love Robin, and uh, she was always very generous to me. And um, I, uh, I I, said she just had the biggest operation of her life, and it's life or death, and I, I have to go see her. So I spontaneously went to see her at a hospital in New York. She had a private room, and I knew how to get up there. And uh, the, the, the guy, uh, security guard, was a fan. And he said, uh, oh, man, he's up there. I go, okay, you know, I knew what he kind of meant. And it was spontaneous. I didn't know Howard was going to be there, but I walked in, and it was Howard and her, and I hadn't seen Howard since the day I left the show before I stabbed myself. And he, uh, it was just as, as if I saw him two minutes ago, he said, uh, you know, hey, uh, we got to make Robin laugh. That's what he said to me. So we put everything aside for that, and the three of us spoke as if we were on the air for an hour. We just laughed like crazy, and it was like nothing ever happened, and then Howard said, i got to leave. And I gave him a hug and I said, I'm sorry for everything, man." He goes, "Well, how you doing?" I said, "I'm all right. You know, I'm working again." And he goes, "Well, that's good. And I'll see you." And it, it, he left. And I spoke to Rob for about another hour, and I, I haven't talked to him since.
2: You haven't? Have you tried to contact? Him? I mean, what's it's? I heard his. I heard his answer to your thing with John. It just seems like there's a lot of stuff. I, I'm. I, I'm just as a listener, I'm confused.
0: I called him four times, probably three or four times, I left voicemails, uh, and he never called me back. What's
2: your What's your sure. thought for why is that? Do you think?
0: I just don't think he 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 wants to deal with me in his life anymore. I yeah. think he's he's got a very very complicated life, and uh, I think he's happy. I'm okay, and I, I but I don't think he, he's prepared to just deal with it anymore. And uh, uh, I I understand that, but where I'm pissed off is, you know, we were really tight on the air and off the air, very very close. We were friends and went through a lot of battles together. And uh, for, for a decade, I, I sat two feet from that guy, and we had what some people think are the funniest moments in radio history. No question. I, you know, and uh, he was the best comedic partner I've ever had, you know, even though he made a lot more money than I did. I, me and him riffing together was so much fun. And I think just all that, just maybe I earned 10 minutes off the air to just let me say in person, I'm sorry, and, and, and hear him out, and, and hug and say goodbye. Like, that never happened. That closure never happened. As
2: a, as a listener to the show, when for me, and I think maybe you said this in the thing with, with starting John, was when you guys had that weird bro fight, it felt like, as a listener, it was almost done right after that.
0: Yeah, well, that's a good point. Uh, it never was the same after that, because... What I never wanted to become was a sycophant. I always had this insecure yeah. thing of like I said, "Look, I'm funny enough to where I don't have to be a snitch. I don't have to be part of these stupid bits where you know, uh, I, if I, something happens, it'll be under my control because of a story. I can be funny, you know, that type of thing." So when he, you know, he pulled this bullshit with me with something. I said, "You know what? I'm, 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 I'm not going to do it." And that's what that was about. That was that underlying anger of, of uh, you know. Uh, the drugs and everything aren't going to turn me into like some intern. Right. And, uh, and he, his anger was sort of like, well, fuck you, you're, you're turning the, my place of work into a place like a drug den and, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to roll with it here and it's taking over the show. So both of those things came to the surface and that was genuine anger and when I said the Pelican thing, it was over. It was, <laughs> yeah. No one ever said that and right. I was out of line, quite frankly. I was, but, but when I said that, when he said, do you think I look like a pelican? And I said, yes, there was no going back. It was a matter of time. So you
2: said, you, said you, reg- do you regret, you know, in the life of the show, you know, you would say things like, you know, you called uh, 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 Mike uh, you know, a faggot, and you talked right. about AIDS, and you talked about this or that, or retard. Is there anything that you look back and you say, boy, if I could do it again, I probably have to walk that one back. You get one mulligan other than the pelican one. In all but, the years, what do you do? You take one. Well,
0: I've I said publicly the high pitch mic thing. I, I, you know, the reason I said that was because you know he talked about my sister and my father in ways that. Look, I come from a neighborhood where you just don't talk about somebody like that. You know, my, my old man. I, I took a lot of shit, and I gave a lot of shit. But I, I'm like, look, okay, if that's the game, if he's going to call my sister a slut for no reason at all, and, and, and my father uh, say he was happy because my father fell off a fucking roof, you oh, know, uh, I'm going to go there with the with the gay stuff. Uh, I should have chosen my words differently. That that was what I said was pretty harsh, uh, and it uh, it should have been more personal about him.
2: It's the story uh, the story about him going to Disney by himself, though, is one of the classic Stern moment stories of all time, though.
0: Listen, again, that's where Howard knows what's going on. <laughs> yes. Clearly, you know the game. Howard's <laughs> like, okay, you know, uh, Artie, that's offensive. So if he, when high-pitch Mike talks, you're not allowed to laugh. And, of course, that creative move was right. I, You know, when he came out, he played a Brian McKnight song. <laughs> right. And I put my face... Howard knew it was going to happen. Uh, I pitched my like, and Howard, can already leave the room? And Howard's like, of course not. Because it's what's going to be funny about the whole fucking thing. But that's
2: one thing. It's, it's Stern, with, Howard would lead you to places where you almost... He would almost walk you into insanity.
0: Oh, so of course. He knew what was going on. So I just <laughs> I just played into it. I'm like, uh, while he's coming out, you're going to hear me laughing in the back. And that's exactly what Howard <laughs> wanted.
2: Has there been any... Uh, in, after... Since Sirius since you finished the show to now, has there been any uh, terrestrial traditional radio opportunities for you or are you considered uh, radioactive?
0: Well, yeah, I, I actually had a regular the direct T V show I did with Dick right. right. DePower was on regular radio oh, that's and true. I that's right. yeah, yeah. I understand. ended up hating it.
2: Yeah, I, how come?
0: I hated hitting eight minute posts and uh, I didn't know anything it about does it. Suck. It's because I was on the biggest radio show ever. I didn't know anything about radio. Right. You know?
2: Well they had their own uh, rules, yeah.
0: Right, so I, I I didn't like it, and I was, I was going to leave uh, at the end of three years anyway, because I, I was driving me crazy, and I thought there was an opportunity in serious, without question, if I had done it a certain way, and I didn't like that, you know, they could sort of still... Sense in the sense that I work for a corporation, I could curse, but they still could say you can't talk about this. And I was about to sign a deal there, and I hated that. And I said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try a podcast. I'm gonna see what that's like." And thank God I did that, man. Is it, is it, is
2: it it's a good living?
0: Oh yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I have I charge seven bucks a, I know a, a you're, month
2: you're charging me. You're charging me seven fucking bucks bucks a month for this thing.
0: Well, aren't it? you? it's a it's a quarter a day, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I I uh, some guys were like thirty eight years old going, I love I love you but I can't swing the the. the the money, right. and I go, you know, tell me anything else, tell me I'm not funny, I suck, if you're 38, you can't swing the money, that really makes me feel bad for you, like, what, what, what's going on over there, right, 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 right. <laughs> uh, and, you know, because uh, everyone said, you know, you know, very few people get anybody to pay a dime for a podcast, but because you were on Stern for 10 years and liked on the show, you might have a following, and, you uh, I mean, my overhead is like two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. I pay a, a PayPal person, mm-hmm. and I pay a producer. And I think the last time I looked at it, I think I have eleven thousand people signed up.
2: Excellent. So, uh, you know,
0: it's a, you know, making about. If you do the math, I'm doing all right.
2: And you continue to be a wildly uh, uh, in, in, inappropriate, uh, in politically, a politically incorrect follow on Twitter, which I love as well.
0: Yeah, why not? It's like, again, <laughs> if they're going to let me say shit like that as a comedian, it's almost like, I never understood comics who try to play by the rules. I, I don't get that. Is, I it mean, a scary it
2: ti- is it a scary time to be a comic?
0: Well, in some ways it is, but in some ways it isn't because there's definitely a rebellious group out there that right. will pay money to hear it different. But, you know, as a comedian, you know, we're supposed to be people who aren't playing, uh, are, are, are doing it the wrong way you know we're living life in a rebellious way you're supposed to go to a comedy club and sort of watch a person like you're going to a zoo uh and uh acting inappropriately like you're the one who's got a you know work in an insurance company in a cubicle and uh, and uh your, your boss follows you on twitter if you say something inappropriate you might get fired and i'm the guy who doesn't have to play by those rules you you why would any comic play by rules? It but makes no sense.
2: It know? feels like the last place, though. But, you know, when you go see, you know, if you make, they remade the Bad News Bears like seven or eight years ago. And it was 50,000% less fucking funny than the original because it had no balls. Like, they're scared. You couldn't make Blazing Saddles today. You sure as hell couldn't make All in the Family today. You know, no. you, I feel like stand-up comedy with stand-up comedians who aren't afraid is sort of the last place where you can do that.
0: Yeah, you know, these, these young kids who come to comedy clubs, some of them aren't prepared for what they're about to see. Right. They're trained on all this, like, what's hate speech? What is it? Then it looks in the context. and uh, There's a self-destructive thing going on. Like I, I was talking to David Tell about this, about these young kids that come. It's almost like I, I'd rather I'd rather offend them than make them laugh. And that's a bad place for a comic to go. I get more of a high off of making them upset. That make you laugh. How many sta- That's a very dangerous thing to do.
2: How many stand-up dates do you do a year now?
0: Well, as many as I can, I, you know, I, I, I'm i very busy right now because I, I do the podcast and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. shooting this thing for HBO. Is that oh, that's the uh,
2: Jed Apatow thing?
0: Yeah, so I, I'm shooting for the whole summer because, you know, it's supposed to be one episode of turn to almost every one of the series, which awesome. believe me, I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I, I uh, it's good money, but my stand-up money is still the best, and I, I try to do two months on the road theaters, you know, so... Well.
2: Uh, but is there, it is there when you do these? You know, it sounds like you get a packed schedule. Do you get concerned that you're going to fall into the same trap that you fell into when you were too busy before?
0: Well, the old me would have done the stand up and the apple thing. The new me is like, I can't do the stand up. So how you know? do you stay?
2: How do you stay clean? What do you do? What's your What's your process? Uh,
0: well, I, it's all meetings for me. It's all AA meetings. It's like a, uh, it's like a, a mathematical equation. If I go to four AA meetings a week. I'll be okay. If I miss it, I won't. And uh, I, I fall off the wagon here and there. And the thing is, if I fall off the wagon, I can't. If it's longer than two days, I, I'm going to have to go to rehab.
2: How long have how, how you been clean for?
0: Uh, I fell off the wagon in Pittsburgh about in February. So uh, uh, months. But I got two months now, two and a half months.
2: Yeah. And do you feel like yeah. you're, Do you do you know when it's coming or does it just show up?
0: Oh, no. It's very spontaneous. So it
2: could happen happen tonight.
0: It could happen when I hang up the phone. Right. Right. (laughs) It probably won't talk. Right. It's it's at least an 18-minute drive to Newark, so (laughs) (laughs) give me 12 minutes to shower. It's it's,
2: It's the easiest time in history to be a sex addict and a drug addict, though, you know?
0: It seems that way, you know. It's uh, well, especially with the pills; they're very available, and uh, the sex goes along with mm-hmm. them.
2: Social media and everything—you can just, you can do anything. We, right had, to, we had to work for it thirty years ago.
0: I know Tinder, I was Tinder grinder. <laughs> eh? <laughs> I, uh, I like to do—I do a joke where I go, I, "I'm getting good at social media. I use Tinder, grinder, and Uber all at the same time. I, I, a gay guy watched me fuck a chick in the back of a town." <laughs> No, you're right. Everybody, There's a lot of kids who live healthy lifestyles with a lot of dope, but they're very promiscuous, these young kids. They, they, you know, they, uh, they, they, uh, they're, they're willing to go. Well, can you, imagine being, can you
2: imagine them being in high school, right? Imagine being in high school when we were, you're about my age, or a little older, and some girl you went to high school with, these girls that you loved, that you thought about all the time, sent you a fucking naked picture of herself. I know. Your head would have I would, exploded. I mean, you, it's, it's a different universe. I would have to mail them my orgasm.
0: I wouldn't get. Out, I wouldn't get out the house. I would not get make it out the house. I'd have to keep a UPS envelope and just go look. I'm, this is where. I, this is the curb. I didn't make it to the door.
2: So you're going to be doing the show on, uh, on May 20. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, in in June. June 26. I'm looking at May 22nd. Is when Officer uh, Tarantino died. Right away, you got uh, right on social media said, "Let's make this happen," and you guys have made it happen.
0: Yeah, you know, you talk about social media, the good or the bad. This is one of the great things about Twitter and stuff like that. I I saw it on the news, and I saw you had a wife and three kids. I got so fucking mad. You know, look, I've had a lot of run-ins with the cops, man. I've been arrested like 20 times in my life, and I'm the first to say it was always my fault. I was always guilty. <laughs> I was always, right. I was always treated fairly. I mean, they're the only thing between us and chaos, man. And uh, look in San Bernardino, the cops became the United States Army. Mm-hmm. That's what they became. Those guys right. for an afternoon, and they, uh, they, uh, you know, again, you see a cop in New York City giving somebody a ticket for doing something wrong. And there's 15 millennial kids with their phones out, like they're like uh, Francis Ford Dopola taking fucking <laughs> like they're fucking directors, waiting for the cop to not to not to forget to cross a T on the fucking ticket and, and go look what he did. It's corruption. It makes me sick. How do you expect the cop to do anything? How do you expect a criminal to do anything? Nobody can move anymore. You know, with the, uh, imagine with John Gotti's crew. Somebody said uh, to him, I opened up an account on Twitter, that he beat him to <laughs> death with a bat. <laughs> cops, have said, cops got to move a little bit. You got to give them uh, room to breathe. They might not do everything perfectly to catch someone who raped your mother. So let them do their job. And uh, we got to protect them. And this guy seemed like a good man, you know. Uh, A kid going into the Army, and, uh, you know, my mother, uh, that kid is the same age I was when my mom uh, became a widow, and uh, we were broke. We were broke, and I knew it would have been helpful if someone helped us out. So uh, I went out, and I said, look, uh, I'm willing to do a show if anybody in Boston can put it together or help me. And within... God, a half an hour there were people calling me back, and we set this up that quick. These people are
2: amazing. And Lenny know? Clarks will be part of it, too. It's going to be yeah. a, it's it does a shitload of the charity work, as you know. It's going to be he a does, yeah. great night. It's going to be a lot of laughs, and I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. And I appreciate you, already uh, taking some time for me. And like I said, I can't tell you enough You know how much you've meant for what, what I do, even sometimes during the show. It happens every <laughs> once in a while. Somebody will say something, and there will be a pause, and I'll say – the best my best Artie Lange impression possible, I'll say, Christ – like you would always say, like you would, always, like you would always stay on the Stern Show. And I, it's a total ripoff, so you can, you know, you can fucking nail me to the wall if you want. I,
0: enjoy so- it, brother. Enjoy it. I, 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 I got basically to say, but uh, you, you, you your because you're funny, probably. You're the, the greatest, gra- reason-
2: greatest, greatest fucking comedian in radio history, Artie. I really do mean that, and I, and I hope, and down deep, I hope that you wind up on that Stern Show again someday if you want to. And I hope that you stay clean and sober. I'm rooting for you. I know you will, and I'll see you uh, at the event in June.
0: Yeah, everybody should come out and help us out. Officer Tarantino, certainly, we we, uh, we, we got to help them. And For the record, Bill, I'll give you this. I, I Deep down, I hope Howard asked me to come back. For the fans and everybody, I, I'd love one more time by the air to get that closure. Don't think it's going to happen, but uh, I hope it does. And thanks for the kind words, my man. And I look forward to seeing you June 26th. Okay, All right, Artie. Thanks
2: a lot. Thanks for listening to Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. If you want more great podcasts, it's pretty easy. You go and go to the WEI mobile app. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to iTunes. You can look up Enough About Me with Kirk Minahan. You can find the ones with Sean McDonough, Bob Ryan, Dan Shaughnessy, David Portnoy. There'll be more. And what you can do when you like them, you write a review. That'll help us out a lot. You give us a rating. We can help you. You can help us. Get that done. Do it right now.
1: Okay. Picture this.